birthday, Business with Purpose podcast. You are three. Now, I really hope, I'm going to be honest, that this podcast doesn't turn into a three-nager like my three-year-old son, Amos, who sometimes turns into a three-year-old monster, but I love him so much because he's so cute. Business with Purpose podcast, you are three years old. 160 episodes in. We've had over 150 guests. I can't believe it. It is an incredible day. Welcome to this very special edition of the Business with Purpose podcast. It's our three-year birthday, so we're celebrating. We're just going to have some fun today. I am your host, Molly Stillman of Still Being Molly. I am also the host, founder, creator, CEO. I don't even know. We'll, we'll just I'll just continue to make up titles for myself of the Business with Purpose podcast. Three years ago, we launched this podcast with the hope of telling stories of incredible brands, businesses, entrepreneurs, and people who are changing the world, not only through their personal lives, but also with their careers. I could not imagine that three years ago, we would still be here three years later telling these stories and continuing to inspire thousands and thousands of you all over the world to pursue a life of purpose and passion, to pursue a calling that you feel led to, and to impact the world on a bigger, larger, greater scale. I am honored that this is something that I get to do for a living, that this is something that I get to bring to your earbuds or your Alexas or whatever (laughs) each and every week. It really is such a joy. So today on the episode, we are just going to have some fun. I'm going to share some thoughts and reflections from the past three years. I'm going to answer some of your submitted questions, and I'm even going to bring my husband on for a little bit of a segment. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the third birthday Business with Purpose podcast episode. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, Mr. President. Happy birthday. Now, since this is the three year birthday of the Business with Purpose podcast, and I have up until this point interviewed over a hundred and fifty entrepreneurs, business owners, speakers, authors, all kinds of people. And after interviewing that many people, you tend to learn a few things about successful or what we wish what we should say quote unquote <laughs> successful entrepreneurs. Because each and every one of them had a few common threads and so I thought I would share Three things that I have learned in interviewing over 150 different entrepreneurs. Number one is just start. Every single one of them, every single one of them had an idea. And many of them waited to act on it and they wished that they hadn't. They wished that they had done it sooner. So just start. Whatever the idea is, whatever it is you want to do, start. Do not wait for it to be perfect. Do not wait for all of the pieces to fall into place. Just start. Now, I'm not saying that you shouldn't pursue perfection, although that is a that is a pursuit that is going to just pretty much leave you feeling frustrated. 
pursue hard work, put in the work, but just start. Don't come up with excuses as to why you can't just start. Number two is don't quit. I have said this before on this podcast, and I will say it again until I am blue in the face. Success does not happen to those who give up. Success happens to those who keep showing up. I know it's hard. Entrepreneurship is hard. Doing good is hard. Fighting for a cause you believe in is hard. Changing the world is hard. Parenting is hard. Writing a book is hard. It's all hard. If it were easy, everyone would do it. But it's not. It's hard. But you have to keep going. As long as there is work left to be done, you have to keep going. So don't quit. And number three, ask for help. You aren't meant to do this alone. Whatever this calling is, whatever this work is that you want to do, whatever is this dream is that you want to pursue, do not try to do it alone. Whether it's the support of a spouse or a dear friend, or maybe it's hiring where it hurts, which we talk about a lot. So maybe you're not good with numbers or you're not good with marketing, whatever it is, get help. Don't try to do it all by yourself. You aren't meant to. We were literally meant to live and work in community. We were created to do that. I mean, just look at the instructions on a set of furniture from Ikea. Like, you can't do that by yourself, okay? So why are you trying to, if you can't put together a bed or a dresser from Ikea by yourself, then why are you trying to do this whole entrepreneurship thing all by yourself? So don't do it alone. Ask for help. So those are the three things that I have found in over 150 different interviews that tend to be common threads amongst all entrepreneurs, business owners, creatives, things like that. So I would love to know, which one of those do you struggle with? Is it starting? Is it not quitting? (laughs) Is it asking for help? Whatever it is, I would love to know. So share in the comments on social media. Shoot me an email. I would just love to know your feedback. Now, since this podcast is, at the end of the day, meant for you, I wanted to get some user-submitted questions. So I went to Instagram, and so many of you were so kind as to submit some questions for me to answer. So I'm not going to answer all of them, but I will try to answer uh, as many as I can. And some of you also submitted some questions for my husband, which I will get to in the segment that I bring him on. But for right now, I'm just going to go through and answer some of these really fun questions that you submitted. So thank you so much for all who did that. Um, So first question is from Lift Your Good. Um, She says, how have you seen the impact of fair trade and ethical brands grow over the past three years? That is a fantastic question um, because honestly, it has grown immensely. I remember when I started this podcast, I thought I'd maybe get like 50 or 60 episodes in and I would run out of people to talk to. Um, Here I am three years later. I have yet to have a repeat guest with the exception of Emily Sexton from The Flourish Market who co-hosts my gift guide episodes, but I have never had a repeat guest and 
I am actually running into the very good problem where I have too many guests. <laughs> and so I have to turn down people all the time. And they are people that, I mean, are just have incredible stories. And I'm like, I really hope I can get to you someday because you're amazing. Um, so I have to be really selective as to who I bring on the show because I it really is a great problem to have is I just have too many guests. And so, but I think that that really goes kind of is, is illustrative of what we have seen in this shift towards um, businesses that are trying to change the world. People are seeing that business can be used as a force for good. And there are just so many businesses popping up left and right that are creating incredible legacies of impact and purpose and passion. And so I just, I've seen a, a huge change. Also, if you had told me three years ago that companies like Target and J. Crew and Madewell and Athleta would have fair trade certified lines, um, products, that they would be moving and shifting towards um, more ethical and sustainable practices, I don't know that I would have believed you. Um, but we have seen massive change in that area. And so I, I think it's incredibly encouraging, really, really positive. And I can't wait to see how it continues to grow. All right, question number two. This is from Porter Supporter. Um, and she asked, if your business ended today, what would you want to pursue? Job, passion, travel, that kind of thing. Um, that's a great question. Um, and honestly, when people always say like, well, you know, what do you want to do? And I'm like, well, I, I really do have my dream job. But, you know, if if I were to, I guess, retire today, I would want to travel. Um, I love to travel. Um, I always joke with my husband that when we get old, I want to get a motorhome and I want to travel the country in it and go to football games and different football stadiums and baseball games and different baseball stadiums. And I just want to see the country and um, I want to take my kids on trips. Uh, I just, again, I, I love experiences and travel, which I mean, a, a lot of people do. Um, I, you know, if if I had more freedom to do it, I would absolutely travel more and do more speaking. I love to speak um, and I speak as much as I can. But obviously with young kids, it's, it's hard for me to do regularly um, because it's obviously a lot logistically with childcare and um, arranging school pickups and drop off and all that kind of stuff. So it's for, for me to be gone and speaking at a conference, I have to really plan far and far in advance. Um, so it, it takes a, it takes a lot of little a lot of extra work, but I love, love, love to do it. Um, and I'd also take more time to write. Um, I have been in the process of writing a book for a while and I would take more time to devote to that. So, um, I hope that answers your questions. Um, and then that actually segues to a great question from Frugal Mom. Um, and she said, how do you find a speaking engagements? Do you have an agent or a person? How do you do that? That's a great question. So kind of a combination of a couple of things. Um, one, uh, when you just start to put out, put it out into the world that you are available for hire and for speaking engagements, share with people. Because conferences, um, you know, lions clubs, uh, chambers of commerces, commerces, 
those types of organizations are always looking for speakers. And so just put it out there, network, 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 let people know, hey, I'm a speaker and I would love to come speak at your your organization. You can reach out to conference organizers. Um, There's a lot of, um, you know, like social media and blogging conferences that actually will do a call for speakers. So conferences like Alt Summit or Mom 2.0, you simply just pitch. So, you know, they'll have a, a time frame where there will be a call for speakers. So you just submit whatever you want to speak about. Um, And then once you start to speak at some conferences and you get kind of some of that experience under your belt, um, I recommend putting together like a little speaker reel. It doesn't have to be anything super fancy Um, or even just having somebody record one of your talks and then you have a copy of it. Then you can send it as an example to other conference organizers. Um, And then kind of like in, in almost in any industry, once you start to do it, um, the ball just begins to roll and people will refer you to other people. Conference organizers talk to each other. So um, I would say number one, networking is really important. Number two, just putting yourself out there um, as much as possible. It's really scary. Um, Rejection will happen. It certainly happens to me all the time, Um, but it is just such an important piece of it. Um, And then as far as like the question of, do you have an agent? Um, So I I have somebody who um, Marissa Flax from Rise Creative is, um, she, uh, I, 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 we work together. She works for me, however you want to put it. Um, So she handles a lot of, a lot of my collaborations and um, is sort of like sort of acts like an agent for me um, when it comes to uh, sponsorships and things like that. Simply put, a few years ago, I just was so tapped out. I could, I was, I'm a one woman show. I could not do everything myself. And so I connected with Marissa. So she helps me in that arena. Um, And so sometimes she will um, actively pitch me for conferences uh, for speaking. Not all the time. That's not her sole purpose. But um, if that is something that you are really interested in getting into, there are definitely speaker agents out there who will help you. Um, But I highly recommend just at the beginning, just kind of start yourself. Um, You know, come up with something that you want to talk about and put it out into the world. Um, Practice it, practice it, practice it refine it and network. Okay, so this question is from Mojo Mom 79 and she asks, how well do Amos and Lily really get along? My kids are 11 and 7, boy and girl. Um, I <laughs> I love that question. Um, Lily and Amos are like probably any typical brother and sister pair. They're exactly two and a half years apart. So they're not too far apart, but they're also new, not too close together in age. Um, but almost to the day, they are two and a half years apart. And within the span of five minutes, they can go from physically assaulting each other to hugging and laughing and giving each other kisses and hugs to yelling at each other to storming out of the room to throwing or breaking things. Like, I mean, it really is a roller coaster with a six-year-old and a three-and-a-half-year-old. They are... So they really do love each other so much, but then they also fight like crazy. So I think it's a pretty average, typical um, brother-sister relationship. But the the things that I love, obviously them fighting can drive me crazy. But one of the things that um, I love so much is how like when we go and pick up Lily from school, Lily will get in the car and she immediately will say like, Amos, how was your day, buddy? And I'd be like, good. How was your day, Lily? And like, it's just, 
it's so cute their genuine interest in each other's days now that they're not at the same school um also Amos very very frequently will sneak into Lily's room in the middle of the night and like get in her bed and snuggle with her which is just precious um they love to play outside together so it they really do have like the sweetest relationship while also simultaneously driving me up the wall um when they fight but I mean isn't that just what kids do (laughs) so I love that question um so Emily M. Wallen asked um have you ever gotten a negative comment about shopping ethically and how did you respond uh that's a really interesting question and You know, I don't know that a negative comment is, I mean, I get negative comments about anything um, just because internet trolls are real. Um, I'd say, you know, sometimes people try to, you know, just deflect and say like, oh, like it's elitist or, you know, you know, you're, I don't know. I don't really know how to describe it, but I'd say in general, like people... People that maybe don't know me might try to assume that I'm judgmental if you don't shop ethically, which is obviously not true. Um, And then I think the thing, the the comment I think that does bother me to an extent is when people who try to use, um, well, you know, these people who work in sweatshops, um, it's better than having no job. Um. So, you know, I'm buying these things that were made in sweatshops to support the people who have a job in a sweatshop, um, which is an ar- argument a lot of people make. Um, and that, I think, is the thing that does frustrate me. And I try to I always try to respond with grace and love and understanding. But at, at the end of the day, that's an excuse. Um and that's an excuse to maintain the status quo. And it's it's not how it's not how I approach things. Um, so again, I, I always try to approach with grace and love. And I just try to educate um, where I can and just to start a conversation. I'd never try to be combative or anything like that because that's not going to get you anywhere. Um, but in general, I don't say I don't think people have are negative. I just think that um, a lot of times comments um, or statements might come from just a, a sheer lack of understanding or knowledge on the topic and that's why I have this podcast and that's why I share what I do on my platforms um, because I think education and knowledge is key um, when it comes to a lot of these issues so um, but thanks for asking that question and then uh, this is the last question I'll answer for now and that is um Aubrey Caton Caton um, said, "What does your typical day look like? Typical week?" Um, so, in full transparency, I'm recording this um, just a couple of weeks into September, and we're still kind of adjusting to this new normal with Lily in kindergarten and Amos um, in preschool. I mean, he's been in preschool the last couple of years, but you know, the last couple of years, Lily was in preschool and she, they both went to the same school. They had the same schedule. Now I have two kids in two different schools on two different schedules. And so I'm, I'm finding that new normal. Um, but that new normal right now is looking like, um, so Lily obviously is in kindergarten five days a week, all day. Amos is in school Tuesday through Friday, um, just for a couple hours in the morning. So my work days really are Tuesday through Friday. Mondays, I 
I don't say I have off, but I don't like come into the office or anything like that. Um, I don't have like formal work hours on Mondays. So my I've been going to the gym. I always go to the gym in the morning. Um, I used to do 6.30 a.m., but now I've been doing 5.30 in the morning um, because it really is, while it is so early and I'm always really tired and starving by mid-morning, um, it's just it's so much better for me to be able to get done what I need to get done, go to the go get my workout in, and I don't feel like I'm rushing in the morning. So I go to the gym at 5.30. I'm usually home by 6.30, 6.40. Um, and then, then that's when I make my protein shake. I make the kids lunches, get Amos's snack ready, get their stuff ready for the day. Um, the kids usually wake up around seven if they're not up, up already. Um, John usually is the one in charge of kind of like feeding them breakfast, making sure that they're staying on task um, before he leaves because he leaves the house at 730 to go to the gym and then go to work. Um, so kind of, but you know, during that time after I'm done kind of making their lunches, he kind of takes over, um, make sure that they're, you know, doing what they need to do. And then I go up and shower, get dressed, all that kind of stuff. Um, we take Lily to school. Um, and then there's a little bit of time between when I take Lily to school and then when Amos has to be at school. So either I'll run an errand or just go back to the house for a little bit. I take Amos to school. And then um, my husband's office where I work from when I'm working out of an office is actually happens to be like basically right next door to um, Amos's school. So it's really easy for me to drop him off and then run over here to work for a few hours, come in, record podcasts, do whatever I need to do um, until it's time for me to go pick up my son. And then I usually get him home, feed him lunch real quick. And then I try to now get him down for an earlier nap so that he can be napping for a couple hours um, while I work a little bit more until it's time to go get Lily from school at three o'clock. And then um, and then in the afternoon, I try to have almost all my work done by the time I pick up Lily from school. Sometimes I hit it on the head and sometimes I, it's a big far miss. But then that way, by the time she gets home from school, I'm able to you know, hang out with her. We can read or play or do whatever. I'm kind of unwind at the end of the day. And, you know, I make dinner and we, um, you know, get the kid, you know, we let the kids play outside if there's time. And then we usually start like the bedtime bath routine around seven. Um, John, since both kids were born, John's in charge of bath time. So that's kind of my opportunity to be alone for a little bit, unwind after a busy day. Um, for that 10 or 15, 20 minutes that the kids are taking a bath. Um, And then we get them to bed. And then um, both John and I are self-employed. So some nights we do have to work after the kids are in bed. It's not ideal, but we try to limit it to only one or two nights a week. Sometimes we hit that really well. Sometimes we don't. Um, Or we otherwise will use that as a time to just kind of hang out. and We'll have at-home date nights or things like that. So that's a pretty average day for me. Um, On Thursdays, I go to Bible study in the morning, so that's a little different. Um, But other than that, that's... That's pretty much what my days look like, uh, you know, but as an entrepreneur and a mom, and, you know, it every day looks a little bit different, but thank you so much for your questions, guys. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I am. Hold up. There are gentlemen that listen to this show besides yes. me? Yes, there are lots of gentlemen. Okay. 
I mean, I would not say they're a majority, but I have quite a few gentlemen that have left reviews, that have sent emails. Whoa, whoa. What are they emailing? <laughs> well, I, I have quite a few gentlemen. You should just take that clip out mm-hmm. and just... When you could just use it as, you know, like to hold it over my head someday down the road. You'd be like, no, no, no. I have you on record saying that you have quite a few gentlemen. Can do. Just kidding. Um, So anyway, ladies and gentlemen, my lovely and talented (laughs) executive producer, John Stillman, is in the studio with me. By popular demand, I should say. Is that actually the case? Well, episode one. Are the guys who are emailing you? (laughs) <laughs> clamoring for me to be on here probably okay um but i mean episode 100 which is the last time you came on the show is one of the most popular episodes of all time you mean like the second most popular of all time and sometimes it's in third place not that i ever really check the stats <laughs> on that uh you check very often <laughs> you regularly were like where am i where am i in the standings mm-hmm. yeah you'll log into my dashboard and check the stats to see where you are. So Devin Klein can not only do more push-ups than me, he also has more listens on this episode, but whatever. Yes, yes. The Burn Boot Camp episode is the most popular episode yeah. of all time, but you're you're coming in at a close number two. Fair enough. <laughs> I mean, isn't that something you just strive for in life, to just like always kind of just be close number two? Yeah, and on a podcast that guys are emailing my wife about. <laughs> Uh Uh-oh, guys. Maybe I've gotten myself into trouble here. Um, Well, regardless. Irregardless? No, that's not even a word. I'm just, I was just saying that, too. Did you ever do daily oral language in elementary school? Where they would put a couple sentences up on the board and you had to go through and, like, mark out where the punctuation was wrong. Oh, yeah. Where the grammar was wrong. Without fail, irregardless was on the board. Once a week. Yeah. And you had to identify that irregardless was Irre- not a word. Irregardless was not a word. Yeah. I mean, we, did, I don't, we didn't call it daily oral language because since I was in French immersion, we, it was a little different. I think it was just kind of like the English language arts bit of the day. It wasn't called a bit, but yeah. I don't actually remember what it was called. That was what DOL meant to me in, you know, fourth grade. Now DOL is the Department of Labor, but... <laughs> I was just sitting here like I had a completely blank look on my face. I was like, wait, what's the DOL? Well, you don't interact with the DOL. Like I, I don't. Do. Wait, you interact with the DOL? Well, I mean, they establish <laughs> rules from time to time that affect my business. <laughs> put it that way. Okay. Maybe I should establish rules that will affect your business. <laughs> Hell, I don't know. I'm more interested in your daily oral language, if you know <laughs> what I'm saying. All right, ladies and gentlemen, this gives you just a little bit of the banter that my husband and I uh, regularly do. This is not uncommon for us to just sit there and yes and each other for 80 minutes to... Why did I say 80 minutes? Why was like that the first thing? 80 minutes. Generally, we yes and each other for 80 minutes, if not more, every day. <laughs> was this the kind of content you were looking for? Yes. Yes. Okay. Regardless, we are going to uh, get to the actual content, and that is the user-submitted questions. Mm-hmm. So I went to Instagram and I asked the the people to submit some questions for you slash us to answer. So are you cool with uh, answering some questions for a few minutes? Let's do it. All right. Question number one, how often do we get away without the kids? Well, are we talking get away for like a night or for a trip? I think... 
I don't, I mean, I, I think it's, we can interpret it however we want. I mean, if we're talking about get away on a trip, what, three or four times a year? Maybe? If, if, wait, what? When, when are you going away without the kids on a trip? Well, so January every year. Well, and okay. And then maybe at least once yeah. spring or fall. Well, like this year. We had Phoenix in January. I guess I'm thinking Austin. like vacations, but those aren't vacations. Why would those we go work? on a vacation without, a, without the kids? Yeah. Going so, to a conference without the kids is a vacation. Yeah, that is true. That is true. When we don't have the kids and we're gone overnight, that is. Yeah. So, I, I mean, our trips really are work trips that we we use as the opportunity to go away by ourselves. So everything that you've mentioned from Phoenix to Austin to Prague really were work trips, but we used them as opportunities to also have time alone. Come on, let's not act like there was a lot of work happening in Prague. Prague. Oh, yeah, no, Prague was definitely the most vacation we've had since our honeymoon, I would say. Like, I had sessions to go to in the morning, but they were done by 11. Yeah, and we were, oh, no, for sure. I w- but I would say, honestly, like, the the most vacation we've had would be probably since our honeymoon. I don't think we've really had a vacation other than Prague. Yeah, that's accurate. Yeah. So, oh yeah. I mean, we'll get away for a night or two for a work trip. Um, we've done like, you know, a, maybe a night in the mountains by ourselves. Mm-hmm. But that's about it. But the one thing that we do pretty regularly is we have been really intentional about setting aside date nights. Um, but we like we sat down at the end of December last year and we planned out all of our date nights for the year. None of which actually panned out the way the plan was, but the the point of the plan was we wanted to have one like true actual away from the house without the kids date night every yeah. month, yeah. which we have accomplished. Yeah. It's just not the things that we identified we were going to do each month, yeah. but we still had the at least once a month date night. And then the, you know, occasional couple times a month at home date night. Yeah. Kids are in bed, we'll eat dinner and Yeah, and we'll come up with some daily idea. oral language. <laughs> Good call back. Um, Well, that actually segues to uh, the next question, and that is, what is your favorite date night? Like, what is your, yeah, what's your favorite date night that we've done? My favorite, like, one single night? I don't know. Maybe, let's just say this year. Like, and it could be an at-home one. Well, this is kind of cheating, because how do you beat this? But when we went to Magic Kingdom, and so we were at Disney World. Oh, yeah. And it's the first night there. Kids are asleep. We're in the hotel suite with my parents, and Magic Kingdom was open till 11 or something. Yeah, that they night. had the extra magic hour. So, if you're not familiar, if you stay on a Disney property while you're at Disney, they have every day of the week, they have extra magic hours at one of the parks. And it's where it's either open an hour earlier or an hour later, only for people who are staying on property. And so we realized that the first night we were there, that Magic Kingdom had extra ma- magic hours from 10 to 11 that night. We got there in time for dinner, ate dinner, gave the kids a bath, put them to bed. And it was, you know, 830. Yeah. And said to my mom and dad. You guys cool staying here in the hotel while we go to Magic Kingdom? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> See ya. Yeah, it was great. And so we got to go in uh, Magic Kingdom that night and uh, we got to ride rides we wanted to ride and it was so much fun. I loved it. That's kind of hard to beat. It is pretty hard to beat. But I also love when we do kind of creative date nights. Like we did got those um, date night inboxes 
um, which were really fun. Just yeah, I like all those, but not like there's not one of them that stands out yeah. above the rest. Yeah, although like, as a concept, I like that as much as anything. Yeah, yeah. Although the '90s one where we did karaoke, that was pretty fun. Yeah, it was good. <laughs> um, all right. Um, as you, this is for you, John. As you've edited Molly's show over the last three years, what is something that you've learned that maybe you didn't expect you'd learn? Hmm. Uh, well, so for me in the financial advisory world, and I, you know, help and coach a lot of other advisors in what they're doing with their marketing and stuff. Um, it's very apparent to me that the people who are the best marketers and the best communicators tend to do the best. Mm. They're not necessarily the best advisors though. Yeah. There are a lot of guys who are really good advisors who are very bad at explaining stuff in a way that it's interesting to people or that they can even absorb. Yeah. And so, I mean, part of it is like actually being the good advisor, but also being able to relay those concepts to people in a way that actually works. And so I think I see a lot of that with the people that you interview. Like there are a lot of people that it's a very entertaining episode and like they're fun to listen to. Mm-hmm. But then I think about what they're doing and I'm like, that's actually not very compelling. Mm. And then there are other people who I can tell that they're really running a good business and doing a good job, but they're not that fun to listen to just because they're not great communicators. Mm. So I wouldn't have necessarily anticipated that that would be the case in every industry, just like it is in the industry I'm in. But I think that's definitely true that you have a lot of people who are going to get more attention and people are going to gravitate toward them, but it's almost like a, a style over substance kind of thing. People are always going to gravitate toward the style. That is not something I would have expected your answer to be, but I completely agree. And that is something that I think I've also found. And I don't necessarily know what the solution is because I I know those people that you're talking about where they are running a really good business, they're really smart, they're really doing incredible things, but they're just not a natural storyteller. Yep. And so it's almost like I you know I always recommend to people I'm like take an improv class. I'm serious. Like if you struggle with storytelling, if you struggle with communication, Take an improv class. Like improv, the foundations of improv will help you so much in just your ability to communicate, your ability to relate to other people, your ability to be interesting. I mean, I remember when I, me and uh, a couple friends that I used to do improv with, we came and we facilitated an improv class with a bunch of financial advisors, and it was really interesting to see the dynamic between those who do can't, just are not good communicators and those yeah. who are yeah so interesting all right well i'll learn something new every day guys um okay and i think this is a good last question to end on your wife i'm obviously asking this of you uh your wife is really passionate about shopping ethically are you as passionate or are you passionate because she is and do you have any advice as i try to get my husband on board Mm, this is a good one. I think it would probably be a stretch to describe me as passionate about <laughs> many things in yeah, life. That's true. Certainly this. Yeah. Um getting your husband on board. I don't know if you mean uh getting him on board with shopping ethically for himself or just him on board with you shopping ethically, which might entail you spending a little bit more. 
I don't know what you mean by that. So I'll answer it both ways. Okay. Um, I mean, the thing for me is I'm never going to be an activist in the way I shop. Like, I'm not going to worry about what you talk about a lot is voting with your dollars. Mm -hmm. Not really something I'm going to get too worked up about. Mm -hmm. But if you can convince me that the ethical purchase is actually a better one for me, Mm. and this is a lot of what you talked about when you spoke at the Fair Trade Conference, Yeah, was that like, you know, 10, 20 years from now, ethical businesses aren't going to be able to hang their hat on a pity purchase, basically. Like, it's the right thing to do. Like, you have to convince the buyer that it's actually in their best interest, too, to do this. Yeah. And so I think for me, the biggest thing is just understanding the quality. Like, in not all cases, but in a lot of cases, the ethically made stuff is more well-made. Correct. Like, it's more expensive for a reason. And again, I know it's not always more expensive to Mm -hmm. shop ethically, but in a lot of cases it is. But I think probably with most guys, you have to drive home the point that it's because it's better quality. Mm. I mean, I was taught from a very early age with tools. Don't buy the cheap tools. Yeah. Because you're going to spend three times as much over the course of your lifetime if you have to keep replacing the tools. Or if you'll just buy the high quality one to begin with over the course of your life, you're going to spend a lot less on tools. Yep. And so that mentality, I think, when I can apply that to clothes makes a lot more sense to me. Yeah. So if you're going to say, all right, well, look, over the course of our lifetimes, we don't have to spend as much on clothes if we buy the quality stuff. I think that's a compelling argument. But if your husband sees you saying that, but then you're still buying clothes as often as you were, Mm -hmm. well, now you're not living up to what you kind of promised with this deal. Mm -hmm. So I think that's one thing you have to be conscious of. If, If it's truly quality that you're selling and we don't have to buy clothes as often or as much well okay actually do that then right that would be my perspective no that's an, that's a good perspective and i would i would agree with that that i've seen um that i yeah <laughs> passionate is not something that i would really describe you but except yeah. unless it's carolina football or uh yeah, that's pretty much yeah. it. Yeah, Carolina football. It used to be the Braves as well. But yeah, no, I'd really say in the last few years, <laughs> Carolina football is the thing that I've ever, I really see you get passionate well, about. Well, you haven't really experienced in the last decade that you've known me, the Braves haven't been in the playoffs enough yeah. for you to really see that <laughs> side of me. <laughs> but it's not pretty. Yeah, it's not pretty. Um, yeah, but, uh, you know, and honestly, I get this question a lot from women who ask like how to get their husbands on board and I think it's um, both in kind of just purchasing because so often I hear wives tell me that their husbands just want to buy the cheapest thing um, no matter what it is and the what the wife is really passionate about or really wants to change the way that they shop and, and buy from ethical brands um, and they are struggling getting their husband to either support that or on board or whatever. Well, if we're talking about stuff for him, you know, for Father's Day and birthday and Christmas, like buy him stuff that you know he'll like that's Mm -hmm. good quality from these brands. And don't make a big deal about the fact that it's ethical. Yeah. But over time, he can start to see, you know, this stuff's actually better. Yeah. Like your those shirts I got you from the Elegantese men's line, the FPR line, like you always, every time you wear them, you're like, gosh, I love this shirt. I really do. 
because it's really soft yep. and it's well made and it doesn't wear out like all your other just kind of basic t-shirts and my shoulders look very well defined they them. do they do your arms your biceps look mm-hmm. really impressive yep <laughs> um well this was fun thanks for coming on for always a, a pleasure minutes. i love you why don't you edit this one since i was doing the talking <laughs> one. i love you love you Thank you, thank you, thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the Business with Purpose podcast. Thank you for celebrating our third birthday with us. I would absolutely love it if you would share this episode on social media. Tag me at Still Being Molly and at Business with Purpose podcast. And don't forget to use that hashtag Business with Purpose podcast. Another thing I would really appreciate is would you mind maybe sharing your favorite episode over the past? three years. Let me know which of the previous 159 episodes, actually it might even be a little bit more than that if we include some of the bonus episodes that I've thrown in there. Um, I would love to know what is your favorite episode that we have done. Let us know on social media, tag us, share it. And you know what I want for my podcast birthday? I would really love for you to leave a review of this show on iTunes or Overcast or wherever you listen to your podcast. Would you head on over, click that subscribe button so you don't miss any new episodes, and would you leave us a review? I hope it's five stars, but just really leaving us a review lets me know what you're liking and how the show is personally impacting you. If this is your first time listening, welcome, new friend. Uh, You really picked a fun week to listen to us, but I hope that you head back and listen to some of the older episodes in the archives with so many incredible interviews with incredibly inspiring and passionate entrepreneurs and business owners who are quite literally changing the world with their businesses. And if you're one of our regulars, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you for tuning in week in and week out. Thank you for your support. And I also want to give a shout out to my executive producer husband, John Stillman, for all that he has done for me over the past three years. Literally, this podcast would not exist without him. And I am so beyond grateful. Um, Thank you for thank you to Kelly Dalton, who helps me with my show notes each and every week. That is just such a huge undertaking and I couldn't do it without her. And thank you to Mark Killian, who has created the original music for this show. Mark from Third Wheel Media, you are the bomb. But most of all, thank you to the listeners. Without you guys, it's just me talking to an empty room. So thank you so much for everything that you have done over the past three years and here is to many more interviews many more episodes and many more years and birthdays to come now go do something good with purpose on purpose